We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. In the third quarter, um, with 440 left, I think I saw Kevin Durant wind up and throw the ball overhand 10 or 15 rows into the stands and not get ejected. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what I saw. And so that was shocking. Um, but our guys kept playing hard. And, you know, we hung in. We had a chance to, um, I think we got the game tied. Um, had a chance to take the lead in the fourth. Um, right now, we just got to hang in. We got to hang in and keep fighting. I'm not going to share the explanation because I just, I, I don't want to embarrass the officials. I, I don't want to embarrass the league. You know, I just don't. I mean, these guys are nice guys, and they just they just made a big error. And you know the the league the league will address it. Um, you know you, you don't want to hear the explanation. You know it's just uh, and at this point it doesn't matter because it's it's not going to change the outcome. You know it's it's but it's it's something that is a significant thing that you know. Just can't, it just can't be missed, that's all. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Not joining me is Michael Focci, as I put out on Twitter. 
It's my lifelong friend. He was in my wedding. He's the biggest Survivor fan I know. He's got his own podcast at that Shady Buffalo podcast. It's my friend, David Cole. David, thanks for joining the show, man. Man, thanks for having me. Uh, First thing, Fachi is not here, but he was right. The Pacers had a chance in this game. They did. He he was talking himself into it the previous episode. Uh, I was a little bit more down on them winning, but they really did have a chance, and that really is due to the part of Tory Craig. Uh, for sure, yeah. Career night, 28 points, probably the most uh, impactful pacer yeah. on both ends of the floor. I loved his energy that he brought tonight, and I think the last couple of games we saw him in the doghouse a little bit, maybe not in the doghouse, but out of the rotation, playing about five to six minutes, and he said it in the press game conference, hey, if I only play six minutes or 30 minutes, whatever I'm asked to do, I'm going to give it all I got. So really like that from Craig, but – um, wanted to give him a quick shout out, but let's talk about this game, David. So this was a game where the Pacers came out early, punched Brooklyn in the mouth and kind of set the tone and got a 16 point lead in that second quarter. And then they just crapped the bed and, <laughs> and Brooklyn went on a huge run, started getting to the free throw line, ended up leading after the second quarter when the Pacers were up 16, which was just you know, just a little bit like sickening for Pacer fans thinking they might have a chance to win this game and see the Nets just close in in that 16-point lead. So what were your thoughts, I guess, on that first half? The first half, I, I did love the intensity, especially on defense and pushing the floor. I thought McConnell did a good job of kind of like heading that up overall. And, of course, you said Torrey Craig doing the same thing. Um, I realized somewhere towards the end of the first quarter that, you know, we were scoring really well. And I was like, man, we're like putting up some good points. And I was like, but most of it is not through our set offense. Most of it is through transition offense, fast break kind of stuff, bad turnovers, second chance opportunities from, you know, Nets players not boxing out and that kind of stuff isn't always sustainable. And so I kind of had some fear that we were going to give it up beyond the fact that that's kind of what we've been doing (laughs) so far this season. So it was nice to see that, uh, especially after the Raptors game where there was reason for concern about, effort right um i don't think you can say a whole lot about the effort this game there's there were some moments of course but uh it's tough you know when you're like looking at brad watermaker and you're like man i wish that you know like well, what can you expect him to do i don't know like he wasn't good he's a third or slash fourth string point guard he, so yeah he wasn't good <laughs> like yeah it's just tough yeah watermaker was not good tonight i was actually intrigued to see how he would look in this game i wasn't sure if they would even possibly start him just because he's a little bit bigger, he can shoot the three ball better than McConnell. But no, I mean, tonight he just kind of looked out of out of sync on all ends of the floor. And I looked at one point, people were just dogging him. And I looked at the plus minus, which is really bad to do, especially live in the middle of the game, because it just, it all just swings based on who's in the game and who's not in the game and who's scoring and whatever or not. But uh, <laughs> he was a plus five at that point when fans were just ripping him to shreds. So, <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, I, I didn't feel like he had been as bad as fans were saying, but offensively, there's just a lot to be desired there. He, he didn't seem confident when he was shooting the basketball, that kind of thing. But yeah, in that first half, though, let's get back to that. I mean, Chris Duarte came out firing. I thought he looked really good. They got some, yeah. bonus, some nice looks early on. We, we saw the Pacers actually hit some big shots. Justin Holiday hit a couple threes to get us going. Then Torrey Craig came in, like we said, he was knocking down shots. Jeremy Lamb. We know Jeremy Lamb is a decent offensive player. And defensively, they were just, you know, kind of getting up in Brooklyn's face. And like you said, For causing sure. those turnovers. I mean, they won the uh, turnover battle. They had uh, – they caused 18 turnovers tonight. So, yeah. it was one of those things where 
I was like, okay, I'm kind of impressed with what, what's going on here in the first half. And then Torrey Craig goes on like this mini run and we get up by 16 points. And then we made some changes and they made some changes. And here came James Harden and Kevin Durant back into the game. And it really just changed everything. And I, I think for the night, James Harden finished with, I believe, 20-some free throws, right? It was 19 free throws, 16 of 19. It felt like 20-some free throws. <laughs> it, it sure did. And Durant had eight, but that was it. But, I mean, Harden was just killing the Pacers, getting to the free throw line. So let's go into the second half now a little bit. Pacers are down by three, trying to figure things out. They're going back and forth, swinging punches. And I got to highlight the biggest moment in that third quarter. With yeah. four minutes and 40 seconds left, TJ McConnell fouls Kevin Durant at the top of the key. Not hard, just to try to stop the momentum. Durant's just kind of frustrated, I think, maybe with how he'd been playing. He had a lot of turnovers tonight. I think you said seven before yeah. we started this. So, yeah, seven, seven turnovers from, from Kevin Durant. All of a sudden, McConnell fouls him. Durant gets mad and he tries to throw the ball at the backboard out of frustration, which would have got him a tech anyway. He ends up launching it 10 to 15 rows into the stands. Does not get ejected. Yeah. And that is a no-no based on NBA rules. For this sure. was a hilarious comment from Rick Carlisle after the game when asked about it. He said, I'm not going to tell you the explanation they gave me. I don't want to embarrass them or the league. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, Carlisle was pretty ticked. You can see Carlisle was heated. And I also felt like, to me personally, that was a little bit of a shift, too, because He's saying all that stuff right there in front of Kevin Durant. You can see Kevin Durant just keep crossing the frame when Rick Carlisle's yelling at the officials. Oh, so yeah. I'm sure that it kind of fired up that Brooklyn team a little bit just to kind of be like, oh, you want him out of the game? We're going to knock you out, you know, without him. So uh, what were your thoughts on that whole mishap by the, the officials? I mean, God only knows if it changes the game. You know, we at that point, I mean, Durant didn't have a great game. Um, he had a, a good game, but not for Durant, you know, for what he usually does. Didn't have a great game. Um, but, I mean, the rule book's pretty clear. Pat Boylan tweeted out the, like, quote, like, word for word from the, the rule book. Any player who throws or kicks the ball directly into the stands with force, regardless of the reason or where it lands, will be assessed a technical foul and ejected. <laughs> so... I mean, a couple of the angles made it look like maybe, maybe he was trying to throw it for the backboard. But the first initial angle and the main, like, the main angle I, I kept seeing, I kept seeing, it did not look like he was even, <laughs> even gave a single care where it was going. He was just launching it. He was just mad. It just came across as really petty and childish. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you get frustrated. There's other ways to take out frustration than launching a basketball, especially when you know that's in the rule book. People have gotten text for it before. Uh, if you hit the backboard, you get a tech, right? I mean, so if you're if you want to be a championship level team and you want to be an MVP caliber player leading a championship level team, what are you doing and stuff like that? Like, there's so many other ways to like vent your frustration. It just seems like unnecessary. And then to have the refs be put in a situation where they're either throwing out <laughs> Kevin Durant. Right, right, or right. they're or they're letting him get away with this, so it's you're not putting the refs in a in a favorable position, and it's the kind of thing that uh, Buckner brought up a few times that you know the refs are put in these awkward situations. You know, the league and you know the fans don't want to see the superstar get kicked out for something silly, but he did something silly. <laughs> well, here's the thing too, David. It was seventy-one to sixty-seven. It was a four-point game at this time. Yeah, 
Duarte misses the technical foul. That was big, yeah. And he had been, I think, at that point, 100% from the free throw line. The last time I checked, I knew he was 10 of 10 entering tonight's game. And so after that, um, it looks like the Nets got a defensive team rebound, but Miles Turner stole a pass from James Harden. Sabonis missed an 11-foot shot that it was mm-hmm. a soft touch. It hit the front of the rim and rolled around. So, you know, yeah. that would have been a one-point game if they would have hit both those shots. And then yep. you'd think Durant might be out. Well, then the next play down, Durant gets fouled, hits two free throws. Then the Pacers get a steal. Chris uh, Duarte makes a dunk. And then Kevin Durant comes down and hits a 20-foot jumper. So, yeah, you know, it's just like back swing. Back. Yeah, I mean, back-to-back things. And then all of a sudden, it swings wide open. It goes from, you know, a close game here at 69 to 73 to 81 to 69. So mm-hmm. they went on a little bit of a run there to close the third quarter. But I, I, I think really, if you just look at this game in whole, the Pacers offensively, they just did not have the creators at all. I mean, you're, you're relying on Torrey Craig, a guy who's not known for his offense, to kind of carry the load. O'Shea Brissett did not play much in this game. I'm not sure what happened. I saw him go out early in the first quarter. He was like the first sub out. Then they said there was an apparent injury. He came back. Of course in, there was. <laughs> and I don't know. He came back in, didn't play very much. So <laughs> something happened with O'Shea that I'm not even sure what happened. So maybe we'll get clarification mm-hmm. on that later if you all know about it. And I'm just missing it. Please send it to me at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter just so I can see what actually happened. But it just felt like to me like there wasn't enough firepower from this Pacers team to compete for 48 minutes. I, I for think sure. for 45, 46, sure, you can say that. But the Pacers, they changed things up. They went to this zone in the fourth quarter. It really started messing with the Brooklyn's offensive flow. But this is where the return of LaMarcus Aldridge after retiring last season towards the end of the year came into effect. He was absolutely money. Yeah, gosh. From the mid-range. And all I could think about was Quinn Buckner saying, I believe it was in the second quarter, he goes, LaMarcus Aldridge really hasn't been a factor at all this game. Oh, as soon no. as he says that, Aldridge hits a jumper, Turner fouled him. I was like, oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Quinn curse, right? Yeah. But it was one of those games too, David, where I was just like, okay, we competed really well. And all I kept thinking was like bigger picture. And I hate to do this all the time. But it's like our front office, when they built this team and they've talked about it, well, we think we can be a tough out. Well, based on tonight, they're not wrong. I mean, the Nets, <laughs> built, their, the Nets, the Nets built their roster to be a championship-level team, and we're supposed to be a tough out. So, hey, we could compete for 45 minutes with the Nets. We can't close them out. So that's oh, what I was just man. thinking the whole time. Like, hey, I wonder if the front office like, yeah, we only lost by seven hey, to the Nets. close. <laughs> Especially tough. without three starters. But, but know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think if I think if we have one of those guys though, I think if we have Karis, Warren, or Brogdon, we, we may have won that game tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think the good thing about TJ starting in place of Malcolm was just the energy that he brings. For, and for Mc, sure. McConnell has not been good this year. No. I think I think at one point Fachi tweeted out that Wanamaker and McConnell had combined for one of 15 from the field. Mm, and then man. McConnell had some nice plays there in the fourth quarter. He had a wide open layup. He had a couple contested shots that he made and it's one of those things where we've talked about it like that's when McConnell's at his best is when he was able to get into the paint hit a turnaround jumper or kick it out to open shooters but there was a couple times there when the game was close I think you know I give Torrey Craig the benefit of the doubt but I didn't like the shot attempt he had a step in he stepped into a three when it was like a two-point game and he missed it mm-hmm. I think it was like a five-point game and the McConnell shot a three at the top of the key with like 14 seconds left in the shot oh, yeah clock. and I'm just thinking to myself guys I love you. You're playing great tonight. <laughs> but you're not three-point shooters normally. I mean, I wasn't as mad about Craig, but McConnell did it like four or five times tonight, David. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. 
And it's just like, there's a reason you're open, bud. Like, oh yeah, your, your form is awful and it takes you five seconds to wind your shot up. So let's just figure out a way to get a better look and, and see what we can do. But I, that was my thoughts on kind of everything that happened. I was good to see Miles Turner playing the fourth quarter tonight. I thought he actually was, I thought he was actually decent. Yeah. No. Not, not like, oh my gosh, great. But he yeah. was impactful. There, there was moments where he was very impactful, protecting the rim and stuff like that. But, you know, just, just a game where you just felt like after the Nets took that lead back, the Pacers were never going to get it back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it was tough. It just kind of felt inevitable. You're right. When you have players like Durant and Harden out there who can, you know, go shoot 20 free throws and then hit, you know, several threes, you can't leave them open. But also if you play them aggressive, they're going to go to the line. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's tough. You know, I mean, Harden was only three of six. But those three threes felt huge, right? Um, it kind of got him going. And you're talking about efficiency. Uh, last episode, you guys mentioned like Duarte's efficiency in terms of shot attempts for points. Um, Craig, 16 shots, 28 points, right? Yeah. That's great. McConnell, 14 shots for eight points. Yeah. Like, holy cow. I, any, I don't know how we, we'd ever win a game where McConnell shoots more than like 10 shots. Like yeah. 14 shots. I mean, and yeah, I know he's he played 33 minutes starter this time. So, you know, he's a lot more in the game, more in the game than usual. It's a little bit of an, of an anomaly, but that's for someone who's not a shooter, um, not even close. That's, that's a lot of shots to take. Yeah. Third in shot attempts for the, for the team. Yeah. And only, uh, only behind Tori Craig and Chris Duarte, you know, yeah. I, I saw some people saying that Duarte had a bad game and it wasn't great. I mean, there was moments for sure, but there was moments when you just saw, Hey, this is a rookie. And we're asking a lot out of them. I thought oh, it was, for sure. I thought it was really interesting how he was starting off guarding James Harden, which is an incredible task because we know James Harden, probably one of the best offensive players in the entire NBA. And then Kevin Durant said, well, I'm going to guard him on defense. Yeah. And Durant's seven foot tall. And, and Duarte is what, six six? So yeah, that's a much. challenge in itself. And then um, Fachi's boy from West Virginia, Carter, Javon Carter. Yeah. He was just, I mean, he wasn't anything offensively, but defensively. He was all over it. I mean, he was like wide on rice when it comes to guarding Chris Duarte. I mean, yeah. he was all over him. And I thought Duarte did a really good job of, you know, staying poised and 
being able to get him off of some shot fakes. I mean, sure, he was 9 of 19 from the field, 104 from three, not terrific. But I think really with him, decision-making is where his game's going to have to improve a lot if he wants to get better. Because there's times where I feel like he doesn't read the right pass right away. I, I think there was a couple times you saw Sabonis get a nice roll, and I think that could be part of the reason why Sabonis wasn't as impactful tonight in certain areas just because there's not the right ball handlers getting Sabonis in the right position. So I, I, I think what's, I think it's safe to say um, while Sabonis is our two-time all-star because of the stats that he puts up, he is really dependent upon other guys. Yeah, for sure. Getting him open looks and being able to get into the paint like TJ Warren, Karisavert, Brogdon, because of their, you know, dual threat ability out there, on the offensive side of the ball, it really helps. Now, Duarte, he can become that, but he's just really young. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, who else did you have early in the starting lineup that could do that? Nobody. So, yeah, um, they, they got him open. They got him some good looks early on down in the paint against some mismatches with Harden and Brown and even Griffin at times. But I just, I just feel like they could have maybe figured out some different ways. But I think Brooklyn also settled in a little bit and s- stopped the momentum from what the Pacers were doing and got the Pacers in foul trouble once again. So just just a tough night, but I don't want to dwell on it too much. Is there anything else <laughs> you want to say about tonight's game? I think the Duarte point is something worth bringing up really quickly. I think that as Pacers fans, we're still settling in to how to talk about Chris Duarte. Yeah. <laughs> and what I mean is we, we drafted him, and I know you've gotten flack, but if I had a podcast that had as, as much of a following as you did, I would have gotten flack. Uh, I mean, I wasn't quite as loud and vocal, but I felt very similar things to what you felt, and so did many other people on Twitter. Um, well, go read I, that tweet and look at the comments that people wrote back are, to me. Oh, There's know. maybe one or two people that are like, this is a good pick. I would say yeah. an overwhelming 95% were like, yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, so I think that in a big part of it, for me, it wasn't about his age. Uh, some people it was, but I think for some reason it became a talking point to be like, oh my gosh, a 24-year-old rookie. And then once we realized he was good, people were like, oh, he's 24. He's well-adjusted and he's mature and he... Um, like doesn't have some of these flaws that some rookies have. But he is so like we went from one extreme to the other extreme. Like he is still a rookie. He makes some clear rookie mistakes, has some bad reads, um, overcommits on defense a few times, had just like you know some poor judgment calls that are just things that happen to rookies. Uh, so that is like that's going to happen. And if that's a problem, then you're not like treating him fairly i don't think necessarily so there's a balance there like he is a rookie he's going to make those mistakes but yes the the age thing i think for him is a benefit but it doesn't mean he's going to come in and be an all-star and be a veteran and be like a consistent uh like veteran type player he's not that isn't him he's a rookie still and talking about the offensive load that he had today uh tonight i guess but you said he you know nine of 19 not great, 47.4%, not great, but was still our third best. And on top of being our third best, the two people that beat him, one was Tory Craig, who had a career night. So, so it took a career night to beat him. And then the other one was Sabonis, who is like almost every game our highest percentage shooter because he shoots a lot around the rim, gets a lot of putbacks yeah. and a lot of like layups and dunks and that kind of stuff. So you know, you have your big man who typically shoots a high percentage, a high percentage of his shots, yeah, and then a, a career night. So even on his like nine or nineteen, 
and I don't think anyone's saying like, oh my gosh, this is this huge deal that he <laughs> did this, but like, who else is going to shoot the ball? You know, I mean, holiday started off hot, but it was two of eight miles, uh, had a couple of good moments offensively, but was two of seven His three just didn't fall tonight. And I think he took some, like he, miles took some good shots that he needed to take. And he, like you mentioned maybe last episode, maybe one before that, I don't remember. Uh, there's a difference between miles's shot sometimes from deep yeah. where you can kind of tell that he, is thinking about it too much. <laughs> but tonight, all three of them, I was like, that's going to go in. And they just ran yeah. out. Oh, he was he was playing with confidence looked, tonight. He looked right, yeah. And also, while we're, while we're on Miles, a few times in the second half, on defense, I, ca- I caught him like calling out assignments and kind of directing the defense. Mm-hmm. And if he's used that way, I think that's really smart. It's, if, you know, if it keeps everyone on, on task and plugged in and engaged uh, defensively, it, it seemed to work. Uh, you know, who knows, but I, I, I hadn't ever seen that yet this season. And maybe I just missed it before, but uh, I it was like really obvious that he was calling out different assignments and pointing out different things to people when he's getting back. Mm-hmm. And he was doing some of those after he would miss a shot, like he missed a shot and then already be like, okay, defense time and not let it, you know, not be dwelling on it, which I, I like that. Yeah. You know, obviously his stat line is not super impressive, um, but I like to see that at least it's something. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw it either, but there were some times too in the free throws when he would pull Duarte aside. Yeah. And kind of explain to him, hey, you should have been in this position. Like, because there was a couple of times where Duarte was out of position. I know one time they had changed to his zone and Duarte's up full court on James Harden and the coaching staff and the bench is yelling, get back, we're in zone, we're in zone. And then he looks up and realizes, oh, shoot, I should have been back already. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with Duarte, this is a lot to ask for a rookie, no matter what their age is to throw them into the fire like this, going up against a, a championship-level <laughs> team. I mean, look at the teams that we've played. I mean, I know. I mean, the Heat, they've yep. got Jimmy Butler, one of the toughest guys. You're talking Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Bucks, and then Kevin Durant and James Harden. And and those are some really tough matchups to, to throw out a rookie in his first couple of games. So it's like, I'm going to be okay with living with the growing pains and, yeah. and accepting it because – you're asking to do so much right now with all these injuries. Like just imagine how much more impactful he might be in like by game 25, if he's able to come off the bench and be oh the, gosh. Yeah. Or even if he starts, but gets to play some more minutes with the bench as they change up rotations. But that's the big thing for me. It's like, just let this kid grow a little bit. Don't overanalyze it. You know, don't overpraise him either. I think that there's a fine line too there because Fans are super excited about him because the numbers he's putting up. And if you look on a box score, it's like, wow, Duarte is averaging 20 points a game, you know? Yeah. But it's um, We're excited because there's not a whole lot to be excited about when you're one of five, <laughs> right? It's true. But Duarte, he's doing a good job. I One thing that I'll just keep talking about all year long, it's like give this kid an offseason to grow his oh, body, gosh. Yeah, put muscle sure. on his frame, get that NBA body in an offseason. I, I think that next year – you will see even a more improved Duarte. But I like his game. I like his competitiveness. And there was somebody on Twitter that put out a pretty interesting tweet, and they said, man, it's really frustrating to me that it only seems like Duarte and Torrey Craig are the only two that are really upset about this loss. And if you think about it, David, those are like two of the only newcomers we have to this current core. And, you know, I'm not sure what trades need to be done. I don't know what trades are even out there. Yeah. But – I feel like, and I said it last episode, so I don't want to rehash too much. But I want to get your thoughts. I feel like this team is just a little bit too comfortable with one another. 
they're more they're good players, but they're not great. But they're just very comfortable with the guys they're playing with. Maybe if fully healthy, they'd be three and two or three and three right now. Who knows? But what are your thoughts basically on this core? And do you think that there needs to be some changes? It's a tricky situation, I think, because you have some talent. It doesn't all quite fit together correctly. They also can't stay healthy, <laughs> yeah. which I know we're all tired of hearing about it. We're all tired, tired of talking about it, but like it is what it is at this point. Right. I mean, it's just the way that it is. So beyond that, you're in a situation where you, the players that you would either want to trade or need to trade, um, you're probably going to have to lose value on, right? Like we probably should be trading Jeremy Lamb but we're probably going to have to lose value on him, right? What value is there, though? <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. So, like, well, for to us, the value is $10 million that we're paying him. Yeah. We're, we're not going to get $10 million back in return is, what, is right. kind of my thought process there. Yeah. Um, and the same thing for if we do trade Miles or Sabonis, there's two different ways to go with that. Um, and honestly, I, I have been for a while just been on the side of do what is best for – value so and the, the problem with that right now is both of them would probably bring back less so then do you do what we've been doing and just hope that we get healthy and try to see if it, we can make it work or do you just lose value and kind of have a season or two uh where you're underperforming what you could have performed with this current core but you're setting yourself up for potential success later on the road um I think I think we're gonna have to make a trade. I do, and yeah. the and, I, and and by a trade, I don't mean trade Jeremy Lamb. Like that's inco- that's probably inconsequential. <laughs> well, they tried. They tried this offseason. Yes, yes. And nothing was available that they liked, or that was worth uh, even fair value. I would say so. And just the fact that we need to play him almost twenty minutes this game shows you how bad injury wise we are. Right. Yeah. I mean. That's that's crazy. You know, you're you're going up against wings like Harden and Durant, and you, you need to find some way to slow them down a little bit. And you play one of your lambs, one of your lambs, one of your wings, who's Jamie Lamb, <laughs> almost 20 minutes. You throw that lamb out there to the wolves. <laughs> you know, I mean, like he is not gonna do anything. Like at one point in the in the end of the first half, when the Nets are going on that big run, I saw a Lamb step up and try to guard Durant. I was like, oh boy, like this is going to go bad. Yeah. Uh, but I think that you have to probably trade one of the bigs And the frustration. I think that many fans have is that they have their favorites. I've always, I've, I've honest to goodness, always loved them both, which yeah. then to some like Miles fans think that, you know, I'm on one side and some supporters fans think that I'm on the other side when really I have genuine love for them both. Uh, my issue with Sabonis mostly is that, a lot of Sabonis fans think that he is like the best player on the team. And I think he could have been at one point, maybe could be even still, but I just don't think he is. I think when healthy, he's probably, when everyone's healthy, uh, he's probably the third or fourth best player, which might be a hot take. But I mean, if you're looking at both ends of the floor, especially this year, his offensive game has struggled a little bit and that just may be, it's early. So, you know, that may just be, a weird thing that happens for the first few games of the season, then he figures it out. It could be a new system thing with Carlisle. Who knows? But both of them are good at different things, so it's difficult to compare them, but they both play the same position, and they both take up the same floor space. And clearly we can't 
uh, or I mean, at least similar floor space. You can space them different ways and you could, you know, stagger the minutes, but then you end up leaving someone like Miles Turner on the bench in the fourth quarter Yeah, and you need rim protection. You don't have any replacement for that because partially because we're injured and partially because that's a skill that he is the best or second best. I mean, he's top uh, rim protector in the league. Yeah. So it's just, you, it puts the team in a difficult, difficult spot, yeah. I think. And I don't know what the answer is in terms of what's out there and what's available. You know, you know, we're desperate when we're willing to take on uh, Ben Simmons, who I think is incredibly talented and I'd be somewhat excited to have him, but there are a lot of obvious issues there. And I don't know if we'd be any better on paper. We might be, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think that he provides something that we don't have. And that's that for, that yeah. can guard the Durants that, you know, yes. and nobody can really shut down Durant or Giannis. Of course not, but, yeah. But I'd much rather see Ben Simmons trying to guard Giannis than Miles Turner, Gogo Batadze, or Demonte Sabonis, right? 100%. 100%. Right. Yes. So, I I mean, I don't want to get into a Ben Simmons conversation because that deal has sailed uh, with, us, with us re or us extending Brogdon. There's really nothing we can offer them that they would want. Yeah. That would make sense because they have to get a point guard back unless we did a three-team trade, but – I just don't really see that happening. But you bring up some really good points. Like everyone always asks me, like, what is Jeremy Lamb's value? And it's just like, it's not really there. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really think I have a weak stomach, but watching Jeremy Lamb play defense <laughs> is one of the things that it's absolutely rough. makes me sick to my stomach because it's just like, where's the effort? Like tonight, yeah. I think I saw a little bit more effort from him, but still, I just don't ever feel good when he's guarding somebody. It's like Tory Craig came out of the game for a second, Lamb came in. I was like, oh, Lord, we're about to get cooked. Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to crucify the guy because we did a lot of crapping on him all offseason long. Just like, oh, yeah. this guy's terrible. But if you think about it, you look at the injury report, five guys are on the injury oh, report. You have 15 guys on your main roster. One third of the Pacers roster is on IR or is out, right? Yeah. So you had to call the two-way players up. They didn't really play until the last 48 seconds, whatever. So you had your 10 you had to play in the rotation. Goga did not play with that group at all. So you had nine that you really played. And it's one of those things where I get what you're saying. I mean, some Sabonis fans, I'm a big one. Everybody knows that. But I, I told you off air, I think that we are realizing more and more that he benefits from playmakers around him. Mm -hmm. He's a great offensive connector. Don't oh, get yes. me wrong. Oh, I yeah. Mean, and, and he moves everything. Like, that's why I think a lot of times you see Carlisle play him over miles in the fourth because without him on offense it's just bad yeah for and, sure and you know some people that don't like Sabonis they get frustrated with that but it's just true like he is almost like your point guard at, at times with yeah, what he, he brought, does he brought up the ball like so many times tonight yeah I mean McConnell is better with the ball in his hands I don't want McConnell stretching the floor at all yeah but you know what I'm saying like they they use Sabonis and that, they did it a lot in that Toronto game because Toronto was sending two or three guys at him every time he touched the ball they were using him as a decoy and it was getting mm -hmm. Brogdon some nice looks and whatever, but nobody was hitting their shots in that Toronto game. So really, if you just sit back and think about it, Turner has not played in how many fourth quarters? I think it's three that we saw the Raptors, the Bucks and the heat. He maybe got in there for like 48 seconds or like a minute, whatever, just very little time. Right. Yeah. He got yeah. to finally play in this fourth quarter. And I thought he was pretty good when he was out there with that unit. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just a different dynamic too, because he was playing against the bench unit as well before, you know, Aldridge and 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> Durant and Harden and all of them came back in. Came so back in, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it, it does matter who's on the floor when you're playing out there, and that can affect your plus minus. Like, I'm never going to look at the plus minus and just be, like, slamming home, like, well, this is why you got to trade one or the other because they're plus minus when they're on the floor by themselves versus not. You know, we're six games into the season now. The The biggest thing you should look at is they're plus minus together. Yeah, because it's not great. No, and, if, and then it hasn't <laughs> been good. It's been a glaring issue, like – I, I just feel like if this is how Carlisle values them, to me right now, I would say that Sabonis is higher on the pecking order in Carlisle's eyes based on how he's played them, you know, aside from the Washington game. But even in that yeah. first game, Sabonis was 10 of 14. Like mm-hmm. Sabonis was really good the first three games, very yeah. efficient, very effective. The last three games, I think Milwaukee and Toronto have always cost him problems because of their athleticism. And then obviously not having having any really wing players out there really hurt him tonight too. So he's been good in half the games, in my opinion, or or above good, I guess you could say. Yeah. But I just I sit here and I think they gotta make some trades. Yeah. I wouldn't be opposed to trading TJ Warren at this point, but at the same time, he has no value right now. Yeah, so. that's the tough thing. And I don't I, I think a lot of Pacers fans don't talk about or realize fully maybe. Um, the position that we're in, just on a basic supply and demand point of view, right? We have an obvious oversupply <laughs> of one thing, right? And every team in the NBA knows it. Like it's not a secret that we have yeah. that we would like to shop one of these two players, right? And so every- and not to cut you off, but it's You're probably fine. the most. That's probably the least important position in today's. Well, NBA. Yeah, debatably, but like I think it's you know like a point guard. The wings right now, part of it is because there's so many um, MVP uh, type caliber players that are at that two, three, four position. Yeah. So that then obviously it limits uh, what else is left, right? The one and the five. And the, obviously you're going to have, let me look at, what, look at what Chris Paul did for the Suns. So there, there's an argument for the one. Now, what's yeah. the argument for the five? Is mostly just defense, right? Yeah. I mean, the Jazz have. Gobert and you know you have Jokic, but outside of the Embiid, two of them, yeah, Embiid, even Embiid, like when he's healthy, that's the problem with him. Not not always healthy, and you know that team had a shot ish, but I mean they haven't done anything really done anything with him yeah. Embiid yet. So so yeah, I think the argument's probably leaning towards five being the least important. So we have an overabundance of the least important position, debatably, but and then and then we have a clear need, like a clear hole. It isn't just like, hey, we'll trade uh, Sabonis or Miles for whatever value you want to give us. Whatever you have extra, just give it, you know, as long as it's value. No, we need a four. Like, we don't need any more ones. I mean, all right now we need a one because we don't, we have Brogdon's injured. But like, if we have Brogdon and McConnell, we don't really, really need like another point guard. We don't, we have Duarte and we have Karis. If Karis can be healthy, then we don't really need a two. You can say maybe we might need a three, but like if Warren's healthy, then which that's a big if again. So, yeah. you know, so, you know, basically we need a three or a four Like we need a wing or a stretch four. So we don't, isn't like we just have all these holes to trade the, one of these guys for whatever. It's a very specific need and a very specific overabundance of one uh, area of the court. So it's, it's, we're in a very uh, like specific position. It's not just like we have these great players that somebody might want. We have to find someone that wants one of these players, someone that needs what they can provide, but also has what we need and then is willing to pull the trigger. <laughs> so there's a lot of dominoes to fall into place. Do you see why I was so uh, excited about the potential of getting Gordon Hayward now? 
Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I was excited about it when it when it was potential, mostly yeah. because Butler fan, like Gordon Hayward, hometown kid, like Brownsburg, let's go, like oh you nerd, that, you know? Yeah, no, <laughs> it's like he like he's Indiana boy. Let's I mean, go. he we wanted to home. be here. That's he wanted to be here too. I was like, you want to like just make it happen? Let's go, come on, Danny. Danny yeah. Ainge, like, come on, yeah. bro. What'd you get out of that? <laughs> Nothing. Evan Fournier Nothing. for 17 uh, games, right? So, but, you know, so that was that was really cool. And that would have and you know, he torched us in that in that fourth quarter against you know against Charlie. Oh, Knight, he's been know? great this year. He was really good last year, but I know he has injury problems too. So, so does he would have would have fit the bill. He would have fit the bill. <laughs> he would have fit our yeah, he would have fit our MO. <laughs> but I mean, really, if you think about it, he does a great job of guarding for us. Like that's kind yeah, of his exactly with the new NBA. Like he does that. He's a good shooter. He's like a Sabonis where he's a connector. I think there could have been a lot of really good positive things with him. I don't want to get too stuck in this what could have been land, but I'm just saying, like, that's the type of player that we needed, and it just didn't work out. But, I mean, if you had him now instead of oh, running yeah. two bigs, I think you'd feel a lot better about – you probably win a game or two or maybe oh, even yeah. three that we've lost just because of what he's able to do. And he can handle the ball some too. You know, you said, I don't really know if we need a point guard, but I, TJ McConnell, if he continues he's playing been, this he way. He has been rough. He has been rough. That's and true. I, you know, he's got, I think his fourth year is a team option, if I'm not mistaken. But there's a lot so. of, I think he's close to 36 million for over four years. So you're talking about almost 9 million a year for this guy. Yeah. And really, if he can't shoot the three ball and be effective like that, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's, it's one of those things where you don't want to knock a guy because he was so good last year, but he's not being utilized the same way. And Carlisle has a different vision and scheme of what he wants to do. And if he's not going to fit this mold, you know, I, I just want to see them move on from him if that's the case, mm-hmm. because I don't want to sit here and have to watch him jack up threes and chuck up yeah. threes that look miserable. Like, I mean, I said that, you know, Jeremy Lamb's defense makes my stomach sick. Don't mm-hmm. even get me started on McConnell's form. I yeah, mean, his shot, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've seen kindergartners shoot better than that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm serious. I've seen yeah, some I kindergartners know. whose dads have taught them better form to than shoot, that, yeah. even though they're pushing it off their chin. You know, at least they've got the hands set up the right way. They're not mm. catching it and shooting like a pass. So, you know, it's <laughs> – I don't know. I'm not going to I'm not gonna hate on TJ too much because he's a, he's a good bench player. Somebody asked me yeah. tonight on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it or not. They're like, all he needs to do is improve his shot and he's fine. You know, we get on we get on Ben Simmons and criticize him for not having a shot. But we don't do the same thing for McConnell. And I said, well, let's just pump the brakes there for a second. Right now, McConnell's making seven and a half million. Ben Simmons, I think, is around like thirty three million. So yeah, you're talking about a guy that's making about twenty percent of what Ben Simmons is making. Ben Simmons is number one overall draft pick. Ben Simmons mm-hmm. is an All NBA player, mm-hmm. an All Star. Where TJ McConnell is a backup point guard. That is why he is in that position because he's not going to get as ridiculed for it because there's a reason he's a backup. If he could hit three point shots, he's probably a starter somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. He's a, Cause he's that impactful of a player, but and, he, and he'd make more money. Right. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, think about it. Think about what you're saying here because Ben Simmons is an elite defender, elite defender. Yes. He's an elite passer as well. I mean, he sees the floor yeah. well, but he's an elite headache too. So it's <laughs> so, like, so far we'll see. But right. Yeah, so, so, so I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, you know, I mean, I don't want to go down that path. Just kind of want to deal with headaches on this team, but I do want to get better. So I'm willing to change things up if it's going to make this team better. But I was doing some research today, David, I don't know why okay. on some like former Pacers rosters. 
that 2015-2016 roster might have been one of the most disgusting rosters I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Our starting five was George Hill, Monte Ellis for opening night, Paul, uh, Paul George, Jordan Hill, and Yamahimi. Oh, my goodness. And Jordan that's Hill like, started that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think Solomon Hill came off the bench at this point. CJ Miles came off the bench. You had Chase Budinger on that team, LaVoy oh Allen, goodness. Shane Whittington. I mean, Joe Young. I mean, I mean, you're talking about Mighty guys. Joe Young. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was just laughing at this roster. I said, man, we have had some really crappy rosters. Like, this roster is not nearly that bad. Oh, no. But I just think the entire Eastern Conference has just gotten that much better. That's true. And I think that at this point in time, it's still very early. I know it's, t- it's tough because our natural instinct as fans is to react in the moment. Right. And so we were seeing a lot of uh, frustration, a lot of hot takes, um, bad record. But like, I don't know about you, but when I saw that first schedule, and I was looking at, you know, November and uh, October, November, December, even I was like, man, we're going to be under 500, like at best, mm-hmm. <laughs> like at best, we're like, you know, somewhere around 400. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm not shocked. We're at one in five. If you're shocked that we're at one in five, especially given the injuries, um, then I would be worried about your expectations as a fan. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you should be satisfied with that and be happy with that. But the point is that it's just early still, right? There's only six games in. We have a new coach. We don't know. I feel like he may be still working on rotations and stuff. The the substitution like patterns and uh, like who plays how much it is – it feels experimental. And I don't mean that in like he's just trying to throw some things at the wall and see what sticks, but like he's still figuring out who works well together, who works well in different matchups, um, like defensively or like, you know, offensively against the other team, like not just within themselves, but against whoever we're playing that night. Um, things like that where I'm like, it's things are all still new. And yeah, we do have a lot of the same players, but. We have some new players that are that haven't played together a whole whole lot because of the fact that we have all these injuries. I mean, Jeremy Lamb hasn't played in so long with some of these players, and you got like Tory Craig, brand new Wanamaker. Like Brissett has played some, but he's been yeah. you know he's here since last year, but also he's still pretty new. You know, someone like Brissett, like poor guy, <laughs> he said, and like, or like Goga had to do with like two or three different systems in two or three years. You know, it's just there's been a lot of change, and we need to have a little bit of patience. I'm not saying you shouldn't be critical. I'm not saying you should be happy with one in five. It's terrible. It sucks. Uh, but if it's 10, 15, 20 games, and we're still at or somewhere around this one out of every four or five games type, uh, then there, you know, maybe a reason for more panic. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing, part of why people are frustrated is that we haven't pulled the trigger on a move yet. Right. We haven't traded Simonis or miles or done something. We just keep bringing back the same old players and hoping they stay healthy. Um, the problem is, is that if we do pull the trigger, if we have at any point in time, other than with the Gordon Hayward move, um, anything that we've been, anytime we've been able to make a move in terms of where our team is at, it's mostly been in a spot where someone's hurt, someone's in a contract year. Like you said, you mentioned like you would be okay with trading Warren. I, I'd be okay with trading Warren, but uh, who's going to want to take a guy that's, been as injury prone in the last year or so as he has on top of the fact that he can just walk away 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it's the, the, the front office is in a tough spot, right? Because you have to try to rehab people's um, value. People like Levert or Warren, if you want to ship one of them out um, or Lamb or Sabonis for Miles even, uh, I think all of those players could potentially be, be traded. But all those players that are traded right now will uh, like will, will be losing on that trade. Well, and you bring up a good point, but I think the front office, to an extent, has kind of you know dug their own grave for yeah, how they've assembled this roster. Because I went back and I looked on my—I don't know if you read my article that I put out today for Indie Sports Legends, but I, I did things I like, things I don't like, and of course, one of the things I don't like is injuries. And so, yeah. I, I talked about the three starting guards on this team or the, or the backcourt, whatever you want to call it, between Warren, Levert, and Malcolm Brogdon. What she gave up to get him was pretty much nothing. I mean, yeah. you gave up a first-round pick and then a second-round pick to the Bucks. You gave up cash, cash considerations, and you gave up a star that had his eyes set on Miami and was injury-prone in Victor Oladipo, mm-hmm. and you got back four second-round picks and three players that are starters. So – you really you made out pretty well in all those trades. But yeah. after tonight's game, believe it or not, between those three players, since last season when Warren went out after game four, they have missed a combined 126 games. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about Brogdon, this was 17 games, I believe. Warren, I think he's going on like uh, close to like 78 now, 79, something like that. So 75, I think. So and then Levert's at like 34, 35. So it's a lot of games that these guys have missed. And when, when you cannot provide a healthy roster, then that's what's going to cause frustrations. I think that's the biggest thing fans are fed up with is tough out and win healthy. You know, yeah. those two words are nails on a chalkboard. And it just continues to keep going that way. And it's like, you know, you feel bad for a guy like Miles because he might have some minor injuries every once in a while throughout the season, but nothing substantial. Same with mm-hmm. Domas. Yeah. And you're like, and okay. The, and they're the two that are always in trade talks. Right. Or the ones, which, you which know. Is, 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 is there a reason why? Yes, right? there is a reason but why. But there. <laughs> everybody hates Brogdon from what I see on Twitter. And I get it. Like, you can have, you can have speculation on if he's been a problem with the, the locker room. There's been some reporting that kind of suggested that. But at the same time, if you look at the encore production, the team is much better with him out there than when he's not out there. Significantly. And if you don't think that and you're like, well, he's a terrible point guard, it's like, okay, look, I get it. He's not perfect. I mean, if they could upgrade a point guard and move Malcolm to two and then put Lavert at three, like that's not a bad idea. But then you mm-hmm. got Duarte. You got to think about where's he fit in with all this. So Malcolm's going to be here for at least four more years if they don't trade him. You got Duarte that's here for four years under his rookie contract. Plus he'll be a restricted free agent. So Guaranteed they're going to sign him to that. Yeah, for sure. And then you've got Sabonis, who's here for the next two years. Other than that, there's not a lot of long-term players outside of Isaiah Jackson. So yeah, it's one of those things where you talked about it on free agency, though. We did a live podcast reaction, and our biggest reaction was, oh, the Pacers signed Torrey Craig. <laughs> and we even had to double-check to make sure it said Indiana Pacers because we're like, oh, <laughs> Torrey Craig signed with somebody. We're like, wait a second. That was, uh, that was the Indiana sure? Pacers. <laughs> So it's like, you know, and it's just like Torrey Craig was brought on here for defense and then against Giannis and against OG Anamobi, he doesn't even play. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, what is Carlisle doing here? Like sometimes I think Carlisle is so nerdy and so analytical that he overthinks things. But 
I know that he's also trying to just figure out how to win with this team. So um, we got the Raptors coming up yeah. Saturday night when people are listening to this. So tonight we're playing the Raptors. This is a game that the Pacers really need to win. Three games at <laughs> home before they go on a road trip. Yeah. They just saw Toronto. I don't know if they're going to win because Toronto gives them problems, but hopefully Torrey Craig can get in there and crack the rotation. Maybe Levert debuts. They've got the Spurs the next night or on Monday night, excuse me. And then I believe after that they play a decent team, but I can't remember. Oh, the Knicks. But that's okay. a that's a game where – so they got the Spurs on Monday, the Knicks on Wednesday before they hit out west for a four-game road trip. So those are some games they're going to have to really buckle down and hopefully win. I mean, if this team wins three games and they head out west with a four and six record, you feel a lot better. Even three and seven, I think you feel a little bit better than one and nine, obviously. So. Yes. Just getting a couple wins here. I mean, it's I mean, looking at the schedule, there's there's so many good teams this year, it's not gonna be easy. So I, I just think this team's gonna have to buckle down and figure out a way to win because once Levert comes back, that's gonna ease the pain quite a bit, I think, from what we're missing. But at the same time, you just don't know how long Brogdon's gonna be out. So if you can get both those guys back, maybe start Duarte and then rotate things around a certain way. I I think you're gonna start seeing this you know, ship rider a little bit with Carlisle. But it's right now, it just seems like we're just basically on the on the ocean and we're just about to hit that waterfall and we have no chance, you know. Yeah. We're not like the cartoons that last. We're just going to crash right into it. And just <laughs> like, all right, we got this broken boat. Let's see how we can just keep on floating down the river in our separate ways. But uh, bad analogy. It's a late analogy for me as it's midnight <laughs> now, but um, I'm rambling, David. So cut me off here. Any other thoughts? <laughs> I, I think that what you're, what we're getting at a little bit here is they need to have, we need to have a little bit of patience, but also the fans are not wrong. I think a move needs to be made, right? So yeah. clearly we need to trade one of the bigs and honestly just like get values my, is my take, whatever that, that means. Um, but also I think that the injury issue should be addressed in the way that I think you would probably want to address it. For one, you you, you want to wait and see when Levert and Brogdon get back. If they can both get back in the next few days to a week, that could be huge for the team. Yeah. But but long term, depending on what we see from Levert after he's back in terms of his health and his production, I think maybe Levert or Warren needs to go. Yeah. And I hate saying that because the potential for both of them is so nice. Um, you like what you see from Warren in the bubble. If he could even just be three quarters of that, like, good Lord, you would love to take that, right? Uh, and Levert, you know, he shows, shows some flashes of, of Vic, right, when, you know, when, he's, when, when Vic was healthy. Um, so you, you like what you see, and that's the problem, is there's that temptation of we've seen these guys do it before, and then they get hurt, and the front office is like, well, but if they could be healthy and they're, they're like tempted by that, what if, right. Um, but at some point you're going to have to cut ties, I think. And yeah. I would say that if, if by the end of this season uh, we have still significant issues and we got to see one of them go it, it, significant injury issues. Uh, I think that just, there's just been too many, too many missed games between the two of them and Brogdon, obviously we've, we've locked him up now. So you're going to have to just live with him missing uh, 15 to 20 games a season and hope that it's closer to 10 to 15. And then, but because you've locked him in now, you have to get rid of, I think, one of the other injury, injury issues, which is a shame because of the potential. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of curious to see how they 
go about doing everything because to me, they could have extended Levert and they didn't. So yeah. I'm not sure if that was more on Levert's end, like, hey, I don't want to do an extension. Let's just see what happens in a couple of years. Um, but with TJ Warren, it's like, what is his value going to be? Because this free agency class is not very good. So he could be like top five or top three in yeah, terms of crazy. because He hasn't played. <laughs> right. But I mean, even if he does come back like potential talent, it could be like a top three guy. For sure. But are you, are you going to want to pay him 20 plus million a year? I mean, I would not feel comfortable doing that, especially at this point. Like you got a bargain deal right now with Duarte on his rookie contract mm-hmm. and Isaiah Jackson for the next three to four years before you have to pay them big time money. So you got to take advantage of that while you can. It's kind of how the Colts have done a good job of building their roster with having so many guys on rookie contracts. But that that is something that the Pacers really need to look at is, okay, we got these two rookies. You know, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but right now I would not be trading our first round draft pick anytime soon for this season. Like imagine if you had to attach that to one of our bigs with mm-hmm. Jeremy Lamb to acquire a player like, okay, does this really make you that much better to where you're willing to give up the pick or are you just kind of like staying middle of the pack? So I wouldn't be surprised if that's a big reason why we haven't seen a move made, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the rumors, at least with Philadelphia, were that it was picks and – and uh, Brogdon and a pick is all I saw. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, not even just with us, though. I mean, with even with like uh, the Portland rumors, they were oh, wanting yeah. players and picks and that kind of stuff. So, you know, pe- people have realized – the value of draft picks. I mean, a lot of these teams now, several of them are, are built through players um, going to one place together, like like Brooklyn, but several of them are built through the draft. Um, I mean, look at Milwaukee and look at Golden State. Those are mostly draft-built teams. Um, not 100%, but mostly. And then you get good enough to draw in the talent because you were already good enough through the draft, right? You yeah. go through the draft and then you become a, a top team and then you get pushed over the hump by signing one or two players that, you know, pushes you over the top. That's kind of the small market strategy, I think. Um, so as I mean, that's what Milwaukee did. It's it not it's not every day that you get a Giannis, but <laughs> it's pretty far, few and far between. But yeah. so I think that if, if a trade for Sabonis or Miles in a first round pick gets you a, a four, that you're like, I'm happy with that. But does that make us a top three or four team? If it doesn't, then I don't know if we need to do that. So it's yeah. it's a, it's kind of it feels like a lose lose sometimes. Sometimes it does. I mean, you know, I, there's not a lot of players out there that you think. I wonder if we could really get them. One guy that I would love to get my hands on if he ever became available is an OKC, and that's Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like it's mm-hmm. a gosh, I, I doubt he'd be available, but good lord, yeah. Well, it's just like if I'm at SGA, you know, Bill Simmons brought this up on his podcast that was floating around on Twitter a clip of him saying like, if I'm SGA, why would you want to buy into this rebuild? Because like, you're just wasting the prime of your career for the next three to four years. And if the Pacers could maybe, you know, give up some three to four picks in the future, you know, two picks and two pick swaps with, you know, one of the bigs and maybe an expiring and like Jeremy or something like that to match salaries and maybe go for it. But I mean, he bought into it when he re-signed there. I mean, but he's not going to turn down the money. I don't blame him. So it's a it's an interesting conversation because it's just like you got to think about what players you could actually get. Yeah, you know, I, I I think that even getting a guy like Davion Mitchell, rookie out of Baylor, playing for Sacramento, like this is a defensive minded point guard. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'd be like, okay, well, what would, what would it be like to get him on this team? Because I feel like Carlisle would really like someone like him. But what would it take to get him, and would the Kings be willing to give him up? So yeah, they've got De'Aaron Fox, they've got Tyrese Halliburton. How much do they want 
Davion Mitchell. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure they won him enough if they drafted him 10th overall. So yeah. it's, I don't know what players are really available. That's the big that's, question. That's the thing. It's easy to see the problem. It's tough to find a solution. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I, I throw out different trades. I know a lot of people hate the Harrison Barnes stuff, but like Harrison Barnes has looked really good with Sacramento this year. He just, he fills a position of need and yeah, it might be a lateral move or it might be a backwards move in a sense for the long term, but for the right now, yeah, it might help you win more games. And if you're trying to be like the Indiana Pacers and get your brain in their mindset, they're trying to win now. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? They're not trying to build for the future. Like, Sure, it's kind of like on the back burner, like, hey, we got a nice young couple players here in Jackson and Duarte, but their long-term goal is like, nah, let's win now. So yeah, that's, it, that's why I see that coming into play. Yeah, for sure. And if you're one of those fans that's like has been saying for probably a year or so that we need to trade some of these guys, then you're probably going to have to be willing to take lesser value. So if, you, so if you're like, well, Harrison Barnes is lesser value, well, okay, but that's like what we have to do. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of where yeah. we're at. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I think there's reasons to be optimistic if you, <laughs> if you just think that, you know what, the injuries are just going to keep piling up. So what, so what happens then? Yeah. It's pretty bleak. Um, if you look at it like that, but there's a chance we get Levert and Brogdon back, hopefully pretty quickly. And then wait and see there. And, you know, if we're still losing, uh, you know, if we lose the next couple of games at home, especially if one of or both of Liver or Brogdon are back, then it's probably time to, to, be, to be seriously concerned. <laughs> oh, for sure. So we've, we've talked enough about sure. this roster <laughs> and oh, what's going on. I mean, we've podcasted a lot about a team that's not very good right now. So um, hopefully that gives you some thoughts. And if you have any thoughts you want to share, Send them over my way at Alex Golden NBA or over at Setting the Pace 3. I'm sure you guys can tag at underscore FACCI. And, uh, David, if you want fans to chime in with you, you're at, uh, what, Shady underscore Buffalo? Shady underscore Buffalo on Twitter. Uh, Shady underscore Buffalo underscore podcast on Instagram. Gotcha. So if you guys want to hit up David with some Pacers talk, we uh, we did do a, a podcast on on his feed where we talked about the brawl and kind of like our fandom and the history of the Pacers and that kind of stuff. So if you're curious about that and you want to check that out, you can go over there. David also has a lot of other interests, mostly, (laughs) mostly movies and music. I would say is what your podcast is mostly about. Uh, He's got a lot of friends that come on and and chat with him. So if you guys want to get a break from basketball and find something else to listen to, uh, he just did a Coldplay redraft podcast with some friends and, family members so it was a it was a good episode i think david had the best ep i'm gonna go ahead and say that on record thank you thank you but uh <laughs> that's just because uh i think he's a little bit more of a diehard cold play fan than the <laughs> three people he had on with him but uh, uh but that's besides the point um but anything else you want to kind of promote david before i uh log off here no i mean yeah thanks for the shout out podcast has been a lot of fun um if you're interested in any kind of like music movies we talk about we've been covering the star wars movies we've been covering the hobbit and lord of the rings movies and uh the next episode coming out this week we are talking about uh our top five movies from disney animation from the 70s 80s and 90s so our childhoods as well as probably many of your listeners so okay that's not that's coming on monday yeah i mean we got some young listeners though so that's they're true, yeah. they're probably more 2000s. I mean, we got some babies listening to this. Yeah, that that, <laughs> that, that, that episode will be coming in uh, probably a couple months. But 
Hey, I enjoyed the last one you guys did when you talked about the early uh, decades of Disney. So yeah, that a lot, was fun too. A lot of good stuff there, guys. So check that out. Follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three over on Instagram at Pacers Talk, Facebook, and that's right, TikTok. We are at Setting the Pace. Not the biggest TikTok users, but we're trying to get better at that. So bear with us as we try to get into that generational type of thing, which I'm not very good at yet. But with that being said, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Setting the Pace. And we will talk to y'all on Sunday night or Monday morning.